Well, hello there. This is Todd from Todd Zen, and I am here to tell you what Zen is. Everyone asks me, you know, what is Zen? What is Zen? And yeah, it's a pretty elaborate topic. It's a pretty elaborate topic. I mean, there are there are books upon books upon books on the subject, and there are teachings upon teachings upon teachings of what Zen is. Um, you know, there are there are great masters around the world, Zen masters that spend a lifetime still not even knowing what Zen is. So it can be pretty tricky. However, the reason I follow it and the reason I teach it and the reason I love it so much is because of its basic principle. So what is Zen? Zen is a philosophy that is born out of um, Mahayana Buddhism in approximately the 11th century. Uh, Zen puts a little less emphasis on ancient religious practices and focuses on meditation and selflessness and unity in the universe. That's primarily what that is. Um, it's kind of like a fundamental principle. It's a way of life. You often hear people use this as, you know, what is your Zen? Find your Zen, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, some main principles of Zen philosophy are the denial of ego. Uh, the focus on interconnectedness in the universe, you know, everything is connected. And, you know, this can all be proven scientifically as well as spiritually too. But it's very basic in Zen philosophy, um, denying the ego and focusing on the interconnectedness of all things. Uh, the recognition of attachment as a source of suffering. Um, we, you know, the, the more we cling on to things, the more that it hurts. And then there's the realization that human perception is, is faulty. You know, the way we, it's like false perception, right? So the way we see things is truly not how things really are. And so again, it gets pretty deep, it gets pretty intense, but that's primarily what it's about. Um, and while these principles are based on the rules of Buddhism, most of them are related to East Asian values, uh, such as Taoism and Confucianism, um, certainly spread out through Japan. Um, a lot of my Zen teaching that I picked up on when I was younger was mostly from the Japanese culture. Um, later in life nowadays tends to be more mixed, definitely, um, again, with Taoism and Confucianism. But absolutely, I, to me, it's Taoism, Confucianism, um, and Japanese Zen Buddhism, um, all kind of coming together as one thing. Um, so what are some of these principles? So they'll talk often about how there's no such thing as the self, you know, the quote unquote, the self. And, you know, primarily it's that there's really no such thing as yourself or myself. Uh, there's no such thing as ego. It's just something we presume to exist. Um, and again, I won't throw at you the fancy words like uh, self, uh, you know, meaning anatta. You know, there are a lot of Mahayana um, uh, traditional phrases and things. I'll try to keep it simple because that's kind of how I like to teach is teaching the, the fundamental basics um, without all the fancy schmancy words because I, I think it is important to experience things. It's kind of like saying, hey, you want a piece of chocolate cake? You want to enjoy the piece of cake or do you want to analyze it and come up with all the fancy words for the molecules and atoms that it's made up of? I believe in tasting the cake. So I'm trying to share that with you guys. Um, especially in, in this here with Zen, it gets pretty, pretty sticky. Anyway, the universe is always in transition, right? It's always changing. Um, and we really don't have a fixed self or ego. There's no such thing because it's constantly changing. Our cells are changing. The world is changing. Nature is always changing. It's constantly in a state of change. And we have this fundamental belief that we're, we're sort of stuck 
we're stuck in the me. This is me, myself, and mine. And this is the the, the thing called the ego that we we all hear so much about. You know, we we claim to have this this ego. We you know, you feel like you're really you. You feel like you're a tangible you, and I feel like I'm a tangible me. And it gets weird for some people because you're like, yeah, dumb dumb it is, but it's not true. You know, there's a truth to it. And that's what's great about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path is there's so much to explore with, with Zen and Buddhism to talk a little bit about that. But it changes your view. And I describe it this way. Um, it's much like a, a, a magician's trick. Once you learn the magician's trick, everything changes. Um, and, and although it may be a little freaky at first, it definitely improves your life because you become less attached to all those things that you think you are. You know, anxiety and depression and worry and hate and blame and just all those horrible things that just can ruin your life. You know, we're all supposed to have a wonderful life. Um, anyway, um, you are not your thoughts. You know, that's this is something else that's taught in Zen is that, you know, we think that we're our thoughts. Now, thoughts can certainly change how you feel, but we are not our thoughts and we're not our pains and we are not our emotions. Okay, there's a famous uh, Zen, Zen author, philosopher named Dogen, D-O-G-E-N. And one of his famous quotes is, to study Zen is to study the self. And that's another definition I like to use with Zen is that it's, it's sort of like the art of the self. Um, and again, which is kind of contradictory because there really is no self, but it's to study Zen is to study the self. And there's a lot of great books by Dogen. Um, to study the self, though, is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So what does that mean? Um, the separation between self and others is just an illusion that disappears when we, when we awaken from, from our so-called dream state. And what does that mean? Well, the more you explore Zen, the more that you meditate, the more that you learn, the more that you connect with nature and others, um, you realize that it is an illusion, that everything is connected. It really is all connected. You know, we exhale the carbon dioxide and we, in we inhale the oxygen that, you know, that the plants give out. It's just such an amazing synergy that goes on in the world. It's, it's actually phenomenal. But there's so many, man, there's so many famous people that write these books that talk about this kind of stuff. Um, one of my favorite authors is Eckhart Tolle. Um, and he, he wrote The Power of Now and A New Earth and other, other books that I love. Um, and he says, rather than being your emotions and thoughts, be the awareness behind them. And that's key, right? Because let's say we're, we're, we connect with an emotion. Uh, let's say we feel sad today. We're connecting with sadness and we're connecting with the thoughts around the sadness, sadness right? Because if you're feeling sad, there's no doubt that there's some thoughts around that and that fuels that. But don't focus on the emotion, sadness, and don't focus on the thoughts about the sadness and why you're sad. Focus on the awareness behind them. As many of my teachers taught too, be the one who knows, be the observer of all of this stuff. Some part of you recognizes all of this. Some part of you recognizes that you are this you that you claim to be. The awareness is what Zen practice taps into, and that's really, really important. Um, to understand. Um, another, um, another great quote by uh, Shinoru Suzuki. He says, emotionally, we have many problems, but these problems are not actual problems. There's something created. 
They are problems pointed out by our self-centered ideas or views. And that's true. That's right on the money, right? We create most everything. All the problems we create. And, you know, I'm guilty as charged, right? I continue to do it. Even though I know that to be true, I still practice the same old nonsense. But that's part of the spiritual journey. That's part of your path. Now, can you be a believer in God and 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 also study Zen and Buddhism? Absolutely. Um, remember, you know, everything is created by the creator, no matter who you think creates it, okay? Everything exists. And it exists depending on your beliefs. It exists somehow, somewhere from, from something, right? And we all have certain capabilities and um, we have our own heart and our will and our soul and our spirit and all that kind of stuff. It's all very unique. And so it's okay if, if you know, you, you believe in one particular religion or spiritual belief and want to, you know, practice Zen, just like you can practice yoga or practice Tai Chi and Qigong and all these things. They're all wonderful. They're all part of creation. They're all part of the big picture, right? So that's that's always okay too. Um, let me go back to things changing, things constantly changing. Nothing is ever finished. Um, in, in Zen training that I was taught, it's a principle known as Mujo, M-U-J-O, where everything is impermanent. You know, your pain, your suffering, your thoughts, your body, our bodies, your body, everything we see is impermanent. It's constantly always changing. Um, whatever we see in the environment was once different, and it'll be different again. It's constantly changing. You went from nothing to now here, and then someday you'll be gone again, right? Um, and nothing is perfect because the universe is always in constant change. Everything's transforming. Um, even if you think things look perfect, under the microscope, they have many defects, flaws, and inconsistencies, right? Um, in Japanese, there's a term called wabi-sabi, that um, any artwork that emphasizes imperfectedness or incompleteness or imperfections um, is what constitutes true beauty. In other words, um, an asymmetric old bowl is more precious than a brand new perfectly shaped bowl because of its history and resemblance to nature-made objects. Um, there are all kinds of, again, all kinds of writings and, uh, you know, books on that kind of stuff. It's really fun to explore. What else? Um, you'll often hear things that, that, you know, the things that we value are empty. Um, I believe in Japanese they call that wu, W-U, in Chinese, or ku, K-U in, in Japanese. Uh, and I think it's shunyata in Hindi. But anyway, um, the Heart Sutra, the most cited sutra of all time, starts with that ultimately all phenomena are sunyata, empty. And I said I wasn't going to use big words, right? But that's empty of unchanging essence. And, um, and emptiness doesn't mean nothing exists. It means nothing exists on its own, independent, right? We think that things exist on their, on their own, uh, independently. Everything relates relative to other things and that are constantly in change. And emptiness is actually the middle state between absence and existence. Zen monks consider emptiness as the awakening stage when people feel boundless unity with the universe. Also symbolized with the Zen circle that we all know, showing the inside and outside of the circle are one. It's like the yin-yang, right? Symbol. It's constantly in change and constantly intertwined and working together. 
Emptiness is also accepted in physics and modern science. Um, as we know, there's vast emptiness among the smallest beings, such as atoms and, and you know stars and planets. There's a lot of emptiness there. And that's really important because we don't know what that is, but it exists. But we cling on to things and we think that it's everything's permanent and everything's so darn serious. So we have to think of that nothingness, um, the void of nothingness. Uh, attachment, attachment, again, being the source of suffering. Attachment to worldly things has many problems. Um, attaching to the self, yourself or myself, it makes it very difficult to empathize and sympathize with others. Uh, we cling to things that we love and that creates stress because then everything, if everything's transforming and disappearing, which it does, then why are we clinging to these things? Bodhidharma or the Buddha said once, if you become attached to something, its impermanence will eventually be realized and at the end you will suffer more. Um, the main source of human suffering, I hate to use a big word here, but it's called dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, is being attached to worldly things. And that's one key quote from the Buddha, attachment is the source of all suffering. Um, or he said, you only lose what you cling to, right? So attachment is the source of suffering. And that doesn't mean don't give a darn about other things, other people and stuff, right? That doesn't mean that. It just doesn't mean becoming attached to them. And attachment leads to jealousy and things like that. Attachment, attachment, attachment. And that's what Zen teaching teaches. Okay, so that's, that's an important part of it. Uh, connecting everything to the universe. You know, some people consider, uh, I've always said this, that the universe starts with you. It starts from your, your, your neurology, your spirit, and goes outwards because our view of the universe happens somewhere inside and around us, right? Um, but we're never alone. We're always eternally connected with everyone else and everything else. And that's a big, big training in Zen. Um, and, and, and again, I don't want to go too long with this, but let me just talk about logic, our, the, our logic. Um, opposed, opposite of Western philosophy, Asian philosophy proposes that we can reach, um, I guess, truth by relying on our emotions and intuitions because our logic and sensual perception is always faulty. Zen is a form of mysticism or non-rational experience of the universe. So what, what does that mean is that you, the more you study this, you, you realize that, let me give you an example. Let's say that you're sitting quietly and you're observing the sun. You're looking at the sun and you say, oh, I, I, Todd, am looking at the sun. Well, there's truth behind this that, that, that I am not Todd and that is not a sun, right? And, and if you sort of detach from that and realize all of the things that are happening here with the light the light waves with the quarks and photons and molecules and atoms and the exchange of energy th between here and there that we don't need the labels. And that's what a lot of koans, a lot of riddles in, in Zen talk about. We They talk about um, koans are riddles that violate physical rules or common presumptions. Um, and they're necessary for getting rid of the trap of our established logical thinking. You know, we have this logic. Zen sort of picks apart that logic and it allows us to sort of relax, to sort of smile and relax. Um, so that's another thing in Zen is just our logic. It's sort of um, detaching from our logic. Um, 
Zen talks a lot that, uh, you know, we have to accept that painful things may happen. You know, one of the first noble truths is that there's suffering and, and that's absolutely true. Um, pain and suffering are inevitable in life. So, so it teaches us on how to deal with that stuff. And it doesn't say, it doesn't mean being miserable. It just means accepting that there's suffering. Another premise in Zen is being present, being mindful, being fully, um, fully experiencing each and every moment. Um, I remember doing this class once with John Kabat-Zinn in Massachusetts, and um, it's a, a mindfulness uh, experience, like a mindfulness uh, meditation experience. And I believe it was a raisin that he had us had you taste, and it's sort of like a, you can look it up on YouTube, you know, John Kabat-Zinn has a great master class on, uh, on his teachings too. But anyway, um, tasting, tasting, a, uh, be it a cup of coffee, a cup of tea or a raisin or a, an orange to just be mindful and present, feel the feeling of each moment, slowing down and really, really relaxing into it. I mean, that's, to me, that's one of the most important parts of Zen practice is that be present, be mindful and fully experience every moment. Um, and part of that would be meditation. Uh, meditation is actually the key to awakening. Uh, when I first started meditating, it was real tough, um, but it got easier. It got easier. And, and it doesn't have to always be formal. It can actually be something that you can experience very, very, very gently in everyday life. You could be working and having a meditative experience. Um, what else? So Zen teaches about being free from greed and desire. And again, a lot of these... Re revolve around the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which I'll talk about later, but being free from greed and desire. Um, these are poisons, you know, some of the big, big poisons in Buddhism would be greed, hate and delusion. Um, and to take care of those poisons, Zen practitioners learn to show incremental generosity to tame our natural greed, to have loving compassion for hatred, to conduct uh, zazen, they call it meditation, for mindful introspection. So you can look inside the mind, right? Being free of our greed and desires is one of the initial stages of Zen healing. Getting rid of our desires is one of the most important steps of eliminating the five hindrances in, in the Zen belief that prevent us from having peace of mind. The five hindrances are basically sensory pleasures by our five senses, you know, our taste, our touch, our smell, so forth. Uh, resentment and grudges, you know, having that, getting rid of that. I mean, who doesn't have resentment and grudges? Get rid of that. Just get rid of it. Lack of focus and energy. Let's be focused. Let's create our energy. Restlessness and sadness. Oh, we're so restless. We're so bored and we're miserable and sad. Let's get rid of that. And then you have doubt and lack of trust. Let's trust people. Let's trust things and stop doubting ourselves and allow our lives to unfold. It also teaches, um, you know, not being judgmental. Um, what's wonderful about Zen practice and Buddhism and, and um, the like are things like teaching not to be judgmental. Um, uh, you know, obviously in Christianity, we'll talk about, you know, thou shalt not judge. That's a whole other subject. I want to focus on the Zen part here. And the Buddha is known many times to speak, much like Jesus did in Christianity, where he, Buddha would say things like, do not be the judge of people. Do not make assumptions about others. A person is destroyed by holding judgments about others. See? So that we talk a lot about that in Zen tradition, um, about having an empty mind and focusing on the experience of the moment and just being less judgmental. 
um, blaming others returns us as returns to us as blame by others and blaming self creates anxiety. It creates a lot of problems. Zen teaches compassion um, for all things in life. Compassion is a big part of it. it teaches that life should be simple. Um, that's what I love about Zen practice too is simplicity. And it teaches us about building a community and, com- and contributing to it. You know, being part of a bigger, bigger picture, a bigger thing and spreading the joy, so to speak. It talks about displaying gratitude and respect for all things. Um, it teaches about not fearing anything, even death. A lot of teachings in uh, Zen, go they dig right into it, man. They dig right into death and uh, dying and, you know, not fearing things like death. Um, having equanimity. But that's basically what Zen is. I mean, again, Zen philosophy is basically born in India. It developed highly in China and arrived in Japan somewhere again in the 11th century. And um, although Zen is one of the schools of Buddhism and emphasizes the concepts of emptiness, selflessness, and taming our desires, it has many typical Asian values from Taoism and Confucianism. Um, again, such as intuition over logic, modesty, the middle way, good human nature, and social harmony. Um, we should remember that the Zen philosophy does not have a unified book. There is no one book. It's divided basically into three major disciplines, which are, um, I can't remember the names, but basically divided into three, three major disciplines. But that's basically what Zen is. And, um, you know, if it sounds remotely interesting as you're listening into this, just look it up. Go to Pinterest. Go to Pinterest and look it up. Go to YouTube, look it up. Go to uh, Google and look it up. Keep tuning into my podcast. I'm certainly going to be talking a lot about it. Um, I do teach a lot of things. So sometimes you'll find some of my classes on YouTube. But I highly encourage you to explore the Zen way, the Zen lifestyle, because it is absolutely life-changing. And um, I hope you join me on that path. And I wish you the absolute best in your life. I really do. My name is Todd, Zen and spiritual practitioner for well over 40 years. My goal is to share this journey with others and help others find the best version of themselves and live an extraordinary life please visit toddszen.com for more. Thank you.